Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. So, John 10.10. 10. Let's look it up. Everyone knows this first, don't we? Let's all read it together. Ready? Read. The thief comes only to kill and destroy. But I have come that they have my life, life in its full. Jesus says here that I've come that people might have real life and to have it to the full. I like what another guy says uh, in the message. He says this. It's up on the screen too. If you flick the next one, he says, I came so they may have real and eternal life, more and better life than ever they ever dreamed of. Yeah. So here straight away, when we read about what Jesus is saying he's, and what he says he's come to do, it's really simple, isn't it? Central to the teachings of Jesus is that he came to teach people how to live. Teach people how to live, not just any kind of life, but the best possible life. Yeah. So if we take Jesus seriously, then the way of Jesus, living in the flow of Jesus, is the best possible way to live. And if it's not the best possible way to live, then Jesus is a flat-out liar. And we should pack up and go home and do something else on a Sunday. It's either the best possible way or Jesus is a liar. Right? Now, somebody might say, you don't understand, Craig. I've been around Christians uh, and I've been around churches and it's just been the most lame most petty, most small-minded, divisive thing possible. Well, then either those people are not living in the way of Jesus. It's possible to say that you're a Christian, isn't it? And, and to say that you're a Christian church and actually miss it. We all agree with that, right? So maybe those people weren't Christians or they weren't living in the way of Jesus or Jesus is a flat-out liar. And you shouldn't listen to anything that Jesus says. But if Jesus says that he came so people could really live, then a community, a church of Jesus followers would be people who are learning to live. That's the goal, isn't it? Learning to live the best possible life. So it seemed to me that one of the observations you would make about a church or a people that proclaim to follow Jesus is you would say, oh, now those people, they know how to live. Those people, they really, or at least if they don't, at least they're learning what it means to live the best possible life. They're really living those people, right? A church's reputation, therefore, would be based on what Jesus said. I've come that you may have life, that you might live the best possible way. Their reputation uh, would seem to emanate from the fact that they were people who were serious about really living well. Yeah. See, I want to redeem people who think Christianity is about believing well. Yeah. 
No, it's not. It's about living well. (laughs) Because who knows, you can believe. I'm sure we all believe a lot of things that we don't actually do. Or we might have a whole lot of theologically ideologies out there that have nothing to do with how we live. But Jesus said, I didn't, he didn't say, I came that you might believe the best possible way of believing. No, he said, I've come that you might have life, that you might know how to live. Yeah. So it's not about learning. It's, sorry, it's, it's about learning to live well. That's what we're here for. That's what a community of faith is about. It's teaching us to live well. Yeah. And if we have missed that, it seems like that we have missed the core of what it really means to be a Christian. Yeah. Because it's either the best possible way to live or Jesus is a flat-out liar. Yeah. Now, let me give you this. The best possible way doesn't mean the easiest It actually doesn't mean the most painless. (laughs) Uh, It doesn't mean it's not confusing. You know, think about Jesus is on a Roman execution stake, tortured, beaten, stripped, naked. Uh, On the cross he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Moments before he dies he has questions for God. You know, in the garden on the cross he's praying and he's going, God, I I don't know whether I want to do this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Some of his closest friends desert him, run from him. Um, you know, his, his mum, Mary, when he was born, she said, yes, God, this is a view. I, I get it. This is going to be great. And then, you know, halfway through the chapter, Mary says, my son's lost it. He's out of his mind. <laughs> yeah. So the best possible way is not always pain-free or the easiest, or the most funnest. But it's either the best possible way, or Jesus is a liar. Uh, Many years ago, uh, I was at home, and I hear a knock at the door, and I open it up, and I immediately recognise this young man. He's a young adult. He was in my youth group about five years previous. I hadn't seen him for a while. And he was going door to door, knocking people up to sign them up to martial arts. Anyone ever had one of those knocks at the door? And straight away, I recognised. I go, "Oh, mate!" And he just looked totally different. Um, he was training to be a black belt in in martial arts, kung fu, karate, whatever it was, taekwondo, wing chow, kung fu, whatever it might have been. Uh, but he looked more toned. He was fitter, he was quicker, he was eating differently, he he disciplines himself, he was stronger. He was the kind of person you want if you're ever in a dark alley somewhere um, around, you know. Literally, his, his wanting to learn Kung Fu or martial arts affected every area of his life. Yeah. Now... What was the, this is a guy that was a master of Kung Fu. And all those people, I guess, were his disciples. And he was teaching them to be like him. And they're all around looking at him going, I want to do what this master does. Yeah. Um, So if this is a guy who's a master of Kung Fu, what is Jesus the master of? I would say based on John 10.10, Jesus is the master of of living. 
Yeah. I came that you might have the best possible life. Yeah. And so as disciples, we want to be able to do what our master does. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I do. Not believe what I believe, but you'll do it. So we're learning to live uh, in the flow of Jesus. Jesus is the master of how to live, how to live in the flow of how God made us to live. So he raises up these disciples, as we know, spends a really intense, focused period of time with them, teaching them how to live as God created them to live. And, and he says to them, now, look, I want you to go to the ends of the earth and teach everybody who is interested in listening how to live the best possible life. See, I want the best possible life, and I assume you do too. So if I'm going to take Jesus seriously, then perhaps one perspective that I can take is I want to learn from Jesus the best possible way to live. Because if the way of Jesus is not the best possible way in 2018, then Jesus is a liar. So to get your head around this, I've called this message, Jesus, the way things are. I want to sort of run you through a process a bit, make some observations, get a bit intense, deconstruct a few things, and then hopefully it'll all make sense at the end. I was wrestling with this message because I had to cut it in half (laughs) because I thought, man, it's just too much information. So hopefully at the end you'll go, ah, I get what he's trying to say. (laughs) So let's start off. When the scriptures talk about God, what do the scriptures mean? Yeah. When we use the word God, what exactly are you referring to? When the rock star or the person on TV says, I just want to thank God, are they talking about the same God I might be talking about? I don't know. When, when you say God, do you, are you talking about the same God Percy's talking about? Because I've, I've spoken to a lot of Christians and they tell me about God and I go, yeah, uh, no, I don't believe in that God that you're talking about. So when we're talking about God, what exactly do you mean? And why is what you, when you talk about God, how is it any different to when another person talks about God? Yeah, I think that's a good question. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses has this burning bush experience and then God commissions him to go to rescue his people. And Moses asks for God's name. He says, what, who should I say sent me? Right Now, this is a big question because 400 years prior to this, Isaac says the same thing and God has a wrestling match with him and doesn't tell him. <laughs> so God seems to be a bit funny about sharing his name, you know, or it's really... Uh, mystical in many ways when people ask. So with, with Isaac, it's a big fight that went all through, Jacob, sorry, that went all through the night. And, uh, and then with Moses, he, Moses asks us this question. It's really interesting, God's response. He said, I am who I am. Well, that fills in all the gaps, doesn't it? <laughs> right, I got it. No problems. Off we go. <laughs> 
I am who I am. God said, say this to the people of Israel, I am, I am has sent me to you. And it goes on to say that this is the name forever. And thus I will be remembered throughout all generations as I am who I am. In other words, I just is. (laughs) I am ultimate reality. Yeah. Do you know what? Nowhere in the Bible do you see people ever trying to prove that God exists. You'll never find it. It's just an assumption. Of course reality exists. Yeah? Of course it does. So the writers of the scriptures just assume that God exists. So their writings about God are merely observations about ultimate reality. Right? There's people making throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, they're just making observations. This is what I am that I am. This is what I've experienced or I've encountered from this God. Right? Yeah. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Next slide, please. That's not there. Don't worry about it. If you're taking notes, write this down. Keep that up, though. Nobody in the Bible is trying to prove that God exists. No one. God just is. Yeah. So let me run you through some observations, right, that people make about God. Number one, can we go back to that slide, please? The Lord is one. So Jewish prayer, Shema, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The meaning of that is God is pure. God is whole. God is unified. God is not split. He has integrity. God is together. He's one, right? Yeah, that that was one of the observations they made about God. Another observation in the New Testament, God is love, yeah? 1 John 4, 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Another observation in Scripture, Genesis 1, 1. God is creator, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. These are some really basic observations about I am that I am, about ultimate reality. So God is ultimate reality, and and no one's arguing whether ultimate ultimate reality exists, right? So all the statements in the Bible about God are all observations about what ultimate reality, life at its deepest level, really looks like. So when we talk about God, we're talking about ultimate reality. This is how things are. This is how life is. So when the writer says that God is love, is is that saying, now I need to prove to you there is a God? No. No, of course not. He's saying, I want to talk to you about how ultimate reality is at its very core. It's love. Right? Ultimate reality at its core is one. So the writer is arguing that ultimate reality at its deepest levels is, he's, but, he, but not, he's not arguing whether ultimate reality exists or not. It just is. Have you ever uh, heard someone say, look, I want to uh, argue with you that none of us exist? That's a dumb argument. Of course you exist. 
Of course. So to argue that God doesn't exist is dumb because he's ultimate reality. Of course. In fact, people that want to argue, I kind of doubt whether they believe he does exist because no one's trying to prove reality exists. (laughs) It just is. Of course we exist. God is creator. The assumption about ultimate reality is that we are all here because we are created. Now notice what the writer says about Jesus. I want you to hang in there with me. 1 John chapter 1 verse 4. In the beginning was the word. Now that word means logos, which most of you know. It's where we get the word logic from. It's like the blueprint, the design. One Messianic Jew talks about that meaning in the Old Testament especially. It comes from the word, uh, it doesn't matter. We don't know a Hebrew anyhow, so I could say anything. But it means the real thing. Right. He was with God, so this blueprint, this design was with God and he was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Life itself was in him and his life gives light to everyone. So the word, the blueprint, became human and lived here on earth among us. So John's insistence here is that when Jesus came among us, in some way he was the presence of God walking among us and this is how God made everything. You can put it this way, Jesus is how God made things. Now I think you've got to be with me here because if you think that I'm talking about a man 2,000 years ago that made of flesh and blood that walked on the earth, I'm talking about something far more profound and far deeper. Jesus was there at the beginning. This code, this flow, this engine, this uh, blueprint, this design was with God. And this design became flesh and blood. Yeah? And Jesus, this design, this logos, is how God made everything. This is the real thing. This is ultimate reality. This is what ultimate reality looks like in flesh and blood. Are you with me? Yeah. Jesus is a picture of the way things are. Colossians chapter 1.15, here it is again. Here's Paul talking about this. He says, Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. Sorry, is the visible image of the invisible God. Uh, He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, kings, kingdoms, rulers and authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began and he holds all creation together. So God made the world with his intelligence this design, this blueprint, this logic, this beauty, and God called this Jesus. Then this Jesus came among us and he took on flesh and blood 
and this order, this blueprint, this beauty came among us. So not only was Jesus how God made things, but currently at this very moment, this blueprint, this order is how all things are held together. Yeah. Right. Next thought. Jesus is how things hold together. Now, this to me holds all kinds of fascinating implications when we listen to the words of Jesus and the way he talks about what he's doing on the planet. Let's look at John chapter 14. Now, this is a passage that a lot of people have heard, what I'm about to read. This passage is often used by Christians to say all sorts of things about Christianity. But I wonder if it is actually about something else. To me, this is a scripture that has been incredibly butchered and used to decide who's in and who's out, who's going to heaven, who's not, who, who God loves, and, who, and they've totally missed the plot with the scripture. But anyhow, let's have a look, in my opinion, anyhow. John 14. Jesus told them, I am. Whoops, just stop there. Where have you heard that before? I am the way. Well, of course I am. It's ultimately, it's how things are. It holds the world together. Of course I am is the way. I am the truth. Of course, of course, of course I am. Ultimate reality is truth. I am the life. Yeah, it's how things are. It's holding everything together. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah, of course. No one connects with ultimate reality except through how Jesus lived. Of course. Makes sense. Yeah. If you had known who I am, then you would have known who my Father is. From now on, you know him and you have seen him. Wow. Yeah. So Jesus goes around loving people exactly where they're at. Whores, tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, people who have stolen, people who have cheated. He loves people exactly where they're at. And then says, I'm showing you what God is like. You want to see what God is like? Then simply just watch me. Watch how I live. Watch what I do. Watch me in action. And according to 1 John, we read God is love. Right? So when Jesus comes among us, what does he do? Loves people. Yeah. Exactly where they're at. Then he says, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. This is what ultimate reality looks like in flesh and blood. Yeah. You want to see God and remember God is ultimate reality. And ultimate reality, according to the writer John, is love. So when Jesus comes among us, he says... I want to show you what things are really like at their deepest levels. Ultimate reality is love. So watch me. And what does he do? He loves without prejudice and he loves without judgment. He forgives. He forgives. We see Jesus forgiving a lot of people. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. He forgives. He just forgives because God is love and God forgives. So what does Jesus do? He's showing us what God looks like. Yeah. How many know Jesus gets really furious with religious hypocrites? Just gets really mad. Kicks over 
tables, calls them sons of hell. Uh, he gets furious with religious people who put on this show. Why? Because when they put on the show, they're two-faced, right? They don't walk what they talk, and it literally drives Jesus mad. Why, why, why? Why is Jesus going crazy about this? Because God is one. And a hypocrite says one thing and does another. So a hypocrite is what? Two. They're split. And it just infuriates Jesus. Why? Because ultimate reality is one. The best way to live is one. Yeah. Jesus comes among us and what does he do? He heals. Why? Because God is love and God is one. So when he says, no one comes to the Father but through me, what Christians have done is we have turned that into a statement about religion. Namely, our religion is better than your religion. Right? But it's not a statement about the supremacy of one religion over the other. It's a statement about reality. Yeah. And what Jesus is saying is no one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I'm showing you what ultimate reality is like at its deepest levels. Of course I can't connect with God if I hate. Because ultimate reality is love. Of course. Anyone, and it says, we'll read it later on, but anyone loves connects with God. Anyone. It says everyone. It's not talking about Christians only, but love is of God. I know this makes our world a whole lot bigger, but God is big. And he's always working. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good. I think this is good. Ultimate reality, the way life truly is. Maybe you could say it this way. It should be up on here. Jesus is the ultimate disclosure of how things really are. Yeah. See, Jesus is not claiming here to start a new religion or the supremacy of one religion over another. He's claiming to point you to reality at its deepest levels. He's trying to show you how things really are. God is love. So we act in tune with that. We get in harmony with how reality is at its deepest level. This is how God made life. You want to know how to live? Just get in sync with how life, how I made life as it really is. Yeah. It's interesting. Jesus, next slide, I think Jesus is reality at its most raw. Jesus didn't come to create some new thing that sits over here. But rather, he insists, let me just show you how reality really is. Yeah. God is creator, which means people, you and me, are created beings. Which means people have infinite worth and value in God's eyes. So any devaluing of human beings is against how things are at their deepest levels. So when people are exploited... When people are oppressed, when people are marginalised, when people are held down, when the, the system uh, uh, puts a boot on someone's neck and that oppresses them, uh, Jesus hates it. 
Why? Because God is a creator, which means we are created, which means we have value that comes simply from being created. So we want to live in harmony of how things are. That's why when we look at Jesus, he's going around to the poor, the marginalised, oppressed. Remember, back in that time in the first century, the Romans had overtaken everything. And the religious system had begun corrupt. So the religious system's corrupting, is oppressing people through taxes and a whole bunch of different things. Uh, and the Romans, so Jesus is going around touching people you weren't supposed to touch, healing people, setting people free. Why? Because God is creator. People have value. Many of you don't pick this up, but women back in the first century were... And children were not really, they couldn't bear witness in court. You know, you know, we read that scripture about Martha and Mary and we make up all this stuff about it. But really, that is a very political, uh, an amazing event because a woman was not allowed to sit at a rabbi's feet. And here is a system, a hierarchy that is oppressing women. And so Jesus said what she does is the good thing. He didn't care about the hierarchy didn't care about the oppression, she does a good thing. Right? So you see Jesus constantly just causing people to step, and it causes great trouble for him, as you know. Of course they want him killed. <laughs> Jesus exposes us to the deepest levels of our existence. So what people often do is they try and turn his teaching into statements about Christianity or about religion, but he's calling people not to some sort of religious structure, but he's calling people to how things really are. He's saying, I'm the way. Reality is the way. You know, when you say, oh, mate, you just, you're not with reality. (laughs) Yeah, well, to get with reality, to get connected to how life is, it's getting in sync, in harmony with I am that I am. How life is. Yeah, I am the way, the truth, the life. I'm showing you what things are really like at their deepest levels. Now turn with me to John 15, 23. Let's look at the flip side of the love part, which makes sense when you look at this in, in the light that I'm trying to expose you to at the moment. John 15, 23, he who hates me hates my father as well, is what Jesus said. What is he saying here? If you hate forgiveness, well, God forgives. That's reality. God will forgive anything. God is in, as we've talked about, he's in the forgiveness business. If you hate forgiveness, if you refuse to forgive, if you want to be the judge, if you hold tight to the things that people have done wrong to you, then you are not like how God is. And God, the Father, is ultimate reality. So if I insist on holding the wrongs of people that have done against me and I refuse to forgive, I'm not in sync with reality. And God is ultimate reality. So I'm out of sync with how things really are. Yeah. And Jesus goes around forgiving. And if you have a problem with forgiving people and you hate forgiveness, then it's going to be hard for you to connect 
with how life really is. Yeah. If you don't like grace, if you don't like freedom, right? If, you, if you're not taking at least some small steps in this, you're going to find it hard to connect with ultimate reality because this is how life is at its deepest level. It's love. Yeah. So, I don't know. Next slide. Jesus is like a portal to the deepest levels of existence. When we act like Jesus, we're in tune with ultimate reality. We live life at its deepest level. 1 Peter 1.15. Let's read this together. Well, not together. I'll read it out to you. It says this. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. See, this, it's not to be holy because that's the Christian thing to do here. He's not saying that. But it's be holy because God is holy. So the statement is that God is holy, his light, his purity, his freedom, his love, his hope. So be like that. Line yourself up. Tune yourself into what God is like, what ultimate reality, how life is at its deepest level. If God is ultimate reality, then the command is line yourself up to how things really are. Yeah. Line yourself up to the deepest levels of existence. So the command to be holy is to get into the flow of how things are. Because Jesus is the way things are. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay. So it's all about just trying to line ourselves up with the deepest levels of existence. How the universe, when when I say universe, Jesus is all things and created all things. In him we live, we move, we exist. Talking about this engine, the thing behind the thing behind the thing, this flow of how life is, right? Colossians 2.16 says this, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Notice the writer is pointing out here. He's talking about a bunch of religious things people do, right? And he says they're all a shadow of the things that are to come. So he's saying you have to understand something about religion. Whether it's a new moon festival, whether it's a Sabbath celebration, whether it's a gathering in a building at Penrith, whether it's taking a small cup and a piece of bread, whether it's uh, uh, dunking someone in the water and hopefully bringing them back out again, uh, whether it's gathering midweek and studying a book that's thousands of years old, whether it's sitting in a restaurant or at home before you eat, You uh, say a prayer of thanksgiving for its provision. But he's saying religion, he says, these are symbols. These actions, these metaphors, these practices is a shadow of what is to come. And notice the text that he uses. The reality, however, the real thing 
is found in Christ. He's saying, listen, we don't worship these symbols, these actions. We don't worship any of that. That's just a shadow. It's a shadow. It gives you like a shape, a dimension. It helps you get your mind around the greater thing, right? The reality. But ultimate reality isn't a religion. It's Jesus. That was, is, that was and is and is to come. The logos, the design, the blueprint that was created right at the very beginning. I did a wedding um, years and years ago, and I was at a, a church, I won't say the name of it, but in the city, very prestige kind of um, old, very old church, you know, with all the traditional trimmings and, and stuff like that, and I was hosting the wedding. And it was back in the era that you used to wear a suit, and you, and uh, if you wanted to kind of break out of that, which I'm, I'm always a bit trying to... Not that you would believe this, just trying to break out of what's always been said and done. And I, so, I had my shirt hanging out and no tie and a suit jacket on, right? Which, you know, so I walked in there and um, uh, just out the back, there's about 400 people at this wedding and I'm sort of, you know, getting myself ready. Any other, the lady, she was about, uh, she was a fair, an elderly lady that was kind of looking after the church building. She comes up, I'm like 10 minutes away from getting up, and totally begins to berate me, saying, you're not wearing a tie. How dare you? This is the house of God. And just begin to just strip me down, like calling me this and saying this, and, and, and you know, and I just, you know, I'm a bit shaken by it because I wasn't expecting it. And then I sort of just told her, I said, look, you know, um, I get where you're coming from, but this, it is what it is, uh, you know, and I just sort of told her to go away in Jesus' name. <laughs> but she clearly demonstrated that somehow this building was somehow holy. All this religious value was p- placed on a bunch of bricks and carpet and how I dressed. It was like... It was the reality, right? You see, the religion gets all this significance attached to it, but the religion isn't the reality. It's just the shadow, and its job is to point you to the real thing. Like here today, our job is not to go, this is holy, you know? Oh, we didn't do communion today. Oh, no, no. Okay, we're placing too much value on the shadow, We're looking always to the real thing. And many people have different types of shadows that help them do that. I'm not judging. But we're we're trying to point. It's pointing. It's when we say our shadow is the real thing. You, You get me? Yeah. How much do you know about me from my shadow? All it does is point you to something way, way, way more complex and profound. Yeah. That's why some of you may be here today. You've been burned because it was all about a bunch of shadows. 
And it was, and you began to worship the shadow and not the reality of the shadow that it was pointing to. Yeah. See, I have no interest. I know this is going to be challenging for somebody here, but it's what I do. I have no interest in converting you to Christianity. I couldn't care less about that. I want to talk to you about how I believe reality is. We're not trying to convert people. We're trying to compellingly talk about how we believe things really are. Yeah. Jesus isn't saying, come and join my new religion. I think he'd be shocked. I think he is saying, come live in the flow of reality. How life really is. I have come that you might have. He is the master of living. Come, tune yourself into the deepest levels of existence. Come, live the best possible life. When we make it about something else, it gets divisive, it gets uh, inclusive, it creates arguments and all the things that we know that a lot of this stuff does, right? But when we just say, hey, you want to know how to live? Jesus is a great example for me. Do you you think love is better than hate? Who's going to disagree with that? Of course it is, because deep down everyone has a turn in their hearts. Of course, yeah, makes sense. We're all in some way tuned in to reality. Do you think it's better to forgive or to resent people? Is it good in our world that people get oppressed and marginalised? No, most people go, no, unless you're the one oppressing people. Is it good that the rich are getting richer and the poor get... No, we know these things. These are things that Jesus fought for and stood up for. I want to finish with this. So the call for Jesus, come. Come. Get in sync with how life is. Yep. Communion is exactly like that. Communion isn't sentimentality where we just go, oh, Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sin. Oh, ooh. No, if you know the origin of communion, communion is a call to action. It's a reminder. You know, eat and drink it's taken uh, from Ecclesiastes, eat, drink and be merry. The rabbis would say the Torah and good works. And you connect with, and, and you'll be happy. You'll have a good life. So Jesus comes along and says, eat, drink. It's a reminder and it's an action. It's a shadow. It's a reminder. Get involved. Love, forgive, stand up for justice. It's a reminder to every week, come and get involved with how life is. (laughs) When we turn it into, oh, God just blesses me, loves me, it means nothing. It's just you go out and go back to whatever. But if it's a reminder to be subversive, stand up, speak out against oppression and injustice and, you know, Raise money, help orphans, and all the things that we do, get involved. Bark against the system that oppresses and marginalises. <laughs> Let me finish with this scripture and I'm done. My prayer, Jesus is saying, is not for them alone, talking about his disciples. I also pray for all those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you.
God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org www.cofcpenrith.org